Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, educating, empowering, and connecting Christians to stand on God's Word and truth. A man who won't stand up for his own principles is not really a man at all. Get involved by emailing comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. You can't handle the truth! Now, here's David Fiorazzo. Good morning. Welcome to another edition of Stand Up For The Truth. Praise God for another day. We are alive and he's keeping our hearts beating and there is air in our lungs because we have a purpose in God's kingdom. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Let's go to God and open up this hour. Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving us meaning in this short temporary life. And we thank you for uh, saving us, for setting us free, Lord. And now we are in this process of learning more about you and your character of sanctification. Um, Show us what that is and help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, our Lord. And Father, help us to never be ashamed of the gospel. Help us to not deny you, Lord, and help us, God, to continue to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters who, when faced with uh, torture, death, um, whatever they're faced with in so many churches across or around the world, they still acknowledge you, Jesus. They still will not deny their faith. Oh, God, increase our faith here in America. And, Father, we lift up this hour to you. We pray that you'd, um, we would have your heart, God, and that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit in what we have to say that may be challenging to some. We love you. We pray that you'd strengthen those who are listening right now in their faith. And we ask your protection and your provision in their lives and ours as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, does this sound extreme to you? Please, Pastor, tell me what I want to hear. Make me feel good. No hard truths, no tough topics. I want to enjoy my life. I want to get to the game after church. I prefer not to be challenged in my faith. Sound extreme? Well, we might be surprised how common this attitude is among churchgoers in America. And the question we need to ask is, is your pastor and church making disciples and equipping saints, or is it affirming and coddling sinners? There's a big difference. So another question to ask, when did it become about us? Since when does Christianity have anything to do with our worldly comfort? When did it become about avoiding messages of repentance and holiness God's wrath, judgment, righteousness. These are all biblical issues. Too much, too harsh, you say? Well, ask a persecuted brother or sister in Christ in another country how comfortable they are. Uh, Compare their tested faith with those who merely profess a faith in Jesus. But here's the thing. Churches in restricted nations are growing, and the gospel is spreading. How could that be? When there's so much resistance and opposition and spiritual warfare, well, let's point the finger back at us. How about America? Are some afraid to affirm God as creator, that he made them male and female, that uh, let alone proclaiming Jesus is Lord and the only way to salvation? Are you starting to see part of the problem? Are we lukewarm? That's, we're going to talk about what that is exactly. Today's guest is the evangelist, pastor, teacher, 
Former Muslim Elijah Abraham. Elijah, we're blessed to have you back on Stand for the Truth, brother. Thank you, Dave. It's always a pleasure to be with you. All Thanks right. for having me. You're welcome. Most welcome. Always. And I know you're busy. You've got a trip coming up. Before we get into some of the content today and uh, what we introduced at the beginning here, I want to find out what you've been doing in the last couple months. We need to catch up with you and hear about your upcoming trip. Where are you going and what's been going on? Well, the Lord has really uh, been faithful uh, to us as always and um, uh, good opening opportunities uh, that uh, to go to some countries I've never been in. Um, it really started, uh, God started opening doors uh, for us uh, to Eastern Europe. Um, in April, I was in Romania and Bulgaria, and as a result of that trip, developed really good relationships with some of the leaders there. Uh, so I got invited to go back into that region. Uh, uh, to Bulgaria as well. Uh, so I will be leaving Tuesday. Wow. <laughs> uh, but also, I'm adding another country uh, that I've never been in. The Lord opened a new door is Moldova. Uh, so I'll be conducting a pastors conference uh, in, uh, in both countries, one in, um, in Moldova and at least three or four in um, Bulgaria. It's going to be a very intensive uh, teaching. Um, the material is a lot. Uh, they in one country is interesting there when we talked about some of the need and I emailed them um, the topics uh, a lot of the topics that they are requesting for me to teach on uh, it's uh, issues that Christians deal with uh, depression anger uh, sexual addiction um, uh, you're talking about parenting uh, premarital counseling all of that i said okay well we could deal with this and of course uh, because of the time constraints i could not cover a lot of what they wanted to add more to that i said but i've got to talk we start the conference with uh, just biblical foundation and theology and doctrine and the person i was talking to that uh, he's my go-between he said oh no they have uh, good doctrine they don't need that i said I don't know that. I don't know them. I don't know where they are theologically. Hmm. Um, and I'm not going to go by what you tell me, even though I like you, I trust you. I said, but until I am there and listen to some of their answers to my questions, and if they are sound, okay, we'll move forward. Hmm. But if not, uh, we got to have foundation to build upon the topics that we're going to be teaching. Otherwise, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to build on a, a false premise and false foundation that they already have. I'm not going to go there. Uh, and he agreed on that. And we'll see. Uh, while I'm there, I'm going to meet with some um, leaders from multiple denominations just to listen to their need and their difficulties and circumstances where they are. Uh, that country is, uh, even though it's in Europe, considered part of European continent, but it's this, uh, the poorest country in Europe. So they have a lot of issues, a lot of difficulties. Wow. And we'll see where the Lord leads on that. And of course, spiritual warfare is always uh, an element into our ministry. Uh, I've been preparing for this material for the last uh, at least six, eight weeks. Uh, and it's uh, been a struggle and a battle because it's constantly the distractions, the, the challenges that I have to go through. And, and because Satan really does not want me to prepare for these brothers mm. and teach them. But by God's grace and, you know, prayer and uh, depending on him, uh, we finish the material and ready to uh, really to teach. And it's, it's really a blessing to do that. Uh, when I, then we'll fly to uh, the other country. And uh, as a result of my trip in April, uh, so the relationship has built 
uh, of trust and uh, they've seen some of my teaching. So now they are opening other doors in other cities within the country. And we are looking into really a four or five, uh, maybe 10 years plan uh, that will open up the door in other countries in the Balkan area and uh, the rest of Eastern Europe uh, for more Soviet Republic's possibilities because of all the contacts of these leaders. So God is at work, um, and um, there are Muslims in those countries, but they usually are nominal uh, cultural Muslims. They are left over from the Ottoman Empire with the Turks. But, um, you know, they still, that's their identity, their heritage. And it's, uh, it's a big wall, an obstacle, you know, uh, with, for the gospel. So uh, we continue to pray that God will uh, continue to break down these walls uh, for uh, for the gospel to penetrate. And um, my last trip there, uh, I, I did a presentation to um, uh, the district, the, the public school district in one of the cities, in, which is full of Muslims. And I did a comparison between Islam and Christianity, and we have a lot of good interaction and, hmm. and questions. And the leader, the, my, the pastor that traveled with me, afterwards he was just in tears. He said, we've been working in this uh, community for at least seven years he said we never got this far and i want to thank you for coming because of your background god opened a new avenue a new area that we can now build upon and to continue developing these relationships and love on these people and with the gospel so i praise the lord for that um so uh, also i'm preparing for 2020 i already have two trips one in january to uh, west africa and uh, the second one in March, I will be going to South Asia. And uh, we are looking at uh, in June, uh, also back to Eastern Europe, maybe three countries in one trip. And uh, in the fall of next year, we'll go back to Southeast Asia. So this is still in the works. Um, so as long as God gives me the grace and um, uh, strength, physical ability and mental ability and um, uh, to continue doing this and open doors, um, we'll, we'll keep doing it. Um, so that that doesn't mean with no challenges or mm. uh, uh, spiritual warfare, as you know. But uh, we've been in this rodeo, as we say, <laughs> down south. We've been in this rodeo before. So we just keep uh, plugging in. And it's a blessing to see pastors equipped with sound biblical teaching that they never had. And they're just thankful that um, God opened these opportunities for me to be there. And they always keep inviting me to go back. So it's a blessing. Oh, I'm sure they're blessed to have, the, especially for pastors to be trained and equipped if they haven't been. Um, we're going to get to a little teaching we had prepared here and talk about the American church in a minute. But you mentioned uh, one of those countries is a very poor country. Um, what are the religious demographics over there in Bulgaria, Moldova? And how about um, do they struggle, even being a poor country, is, is there any influence of the prosperity gospel? Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. Um, the predominant, uh, quote-unquote, Christianity, if you want to call that, or the church, is basically Eastern Orthodox. Um, and um, it's uh, very uh, ritualistic, very rigid, uh, saint worship, almost saint worship type of things. Um, but, uh, the evangelicals, um, you have, uh, the prosperity gospel, you know, coming in as well, uh, just like it's stronger in Asia, Southeast Asia, uh, as well as in Africa, from my experience, um, 
and uh, now it's seeping in into these uh, countries, especially after the fall of communism. Uh, slowly but surely, it has infiltrated into the evangelical churches. So it is a problem. But also, uh, you blend uh, the prosperity gospel, health and wealth gospel, with uh, secularism and materialism that it's uh, been exported to them from Western Europe and from America. Uh, it's it's a bad combination. Uh, so uh, they are uh, most of the believers there. Uh, like for example. The church in Bulgaria are weaker uh, spiritually or theologically than the church in Romania uh, because the gospel been there uh, a, a little bit longer. They've been tested, so they are more conservative in Romania as far as the uh, evangelical churches or theology than in uh, Rom uh, Bulgaria and other places. So um, it's a, it's a co continuous battle, and, and I have to kind of really tread on and a fine line uh, not to lean in one denomination or another. Uh, uh, that's why in, in the conferences that I teach is mainly multiple den uh, denominational pastors are represented. Uh, and I always start with, this, with the Bible, the doctrine of the Bible, how we get the Bible. Is it authoritative? Is this something that we tr is it's trustworthy? And when I go from there, uh, then uh, from the teaching, then they will struggle because now they are uh, confronted with the scripture and the denominational teaching and theology. Mm. Where do, who do, should they submit to? And I'm constantly challenging them that they need to submit to the authority of the scripture because the Bible is authoritative over their life, their family, their church, their, their denomination, their culture, their country, this whole planet, this whole universe. So they have to adhere to the word of God. And it's, uh, it's been really a blessing because I let the Word of God do the fighting for me. I don't get into any arguments, uh, denominational arguments and differences. Um, I just tell them, so look, I'm here about the Bible, uh, and I'm here to talk to you other brother in Christ, um, uh, you know, fellow pastor, uh, pre preacher, teacher. Uh, I'm not here as a Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Pentecostal or anything mm -hmm. like that. So I, I said, if, if it's not in the Bible, don't talk to me. Don't try to convince me that this is how church is or how you preach. So it's been uh, because uh, earlier on in the ministry when I was young and stupid and naive, <laughs> uh, I tried, I, uh, I fell into the uh, rabbit hole of uh, uh, arguing with them and trying to make prove my point. Mm -hmm. And it was really difficult. And uh, I get more or less worn out doing that. And after much prayer and repentance to the Lord that, um, you know, God just showed me that he will do the fighting. It is his word then on the line. And I just have to stick to it, stick to the word and let God deal with the hearts, with the attitudes. And it's been a, a great formula and it's uh, my blood pressure stays down. So that's a good thing. <laughs> so. Praise God for that. Yes. Um, Elijah, let's go to the Word uh, and just see if there are any parallels here. In Second uh, Chronicles chapter 18, I was reading the Old Testament this morning, and I, some, some scriptures just jumped out at me, and I thought, boy, I've got to ask Elijah if there's, uh, or how many parallels might there be in just this passage in Second uh, Chronicles 18, starting in verse 4. First of all, this is where Micaiah, it might be Micaiah, and he warns Ahab. He's a prophet. 
In verse 4, it says, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the Lord, or I'm for, for the word of the Lord today. And then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hands. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So after 400 men just said, yeah, go ahead, go for it. You'll be victorious. Um, Jehoshaphat says, wait a minute. Is there any other voice or opinion? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always (laughs) evil. He is Micaiah, I think it is, son of Imla. And if you jump to verse 11, so all the prophets prophesied, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Therefore, please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. So he's saying, Tell the king exactly what these other men are saying. Yeah, you know, get on board. Yep, get on board. Come along, you know, unify. And um, Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that will I speak. And verse 17, it says, The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would prophesy good concerning me, but that he would not prophesy good, but evil? Anyway, ended up throwing him in prison, the king did, because he was the one who spoke the truth of God. Uh, verse right. 22 says, Look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. And the outcome of this, Elijah, was, well, who was right? It was the one prophet of God that was right. And, um, yeah, it, it just was a sad thing that he just wanted to gather these prophets because people always want a favorable word. And what does that remind you of? When it, I'd love to get your thoughts on that because I thought, boy, don't we like our ears tickle, as we'll, uh, we'll mention that verse in a minute. Well, it reminds me of, we discussed this uh, before on, uh, on your show before for the last few years. It reminds me of the status of the church in America. Well, people ask me, okay, you've been in 44 countries. Uh, what's, what's your opinion? What's your thoughts uh, of the status of the church in America? I so, said, boy, that's a dangerous question. Uh, <laughs> uh, please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. I'm not here to uh, you know, convict the church. I'm not here to condemn the church. It's not my church. It's the Lord's church. Amen. Uh, but what I see is really in comparison to some of the churches I've been in, so, uh, you know, the good and the bad and the ugly. Uh, the poorest of the poor in Africa and India to the richest of the richest in America. So I've been in all of them. So uh, that passage you read reminds me of the church, the status in church in America, because we have dual Christianity in America. We have majority of churches in America, like these general prophets you're talking about, uh, 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 what do I call American Christianity? Uh, they practice in American Christianity. And the minority, like this true prophet, uh, practicing biblical Christianity, who are faithful to the Word of God, doing what God says and commands, and they are speaking the truth, whether it be within the church or the culture or politics or whatever it is. 
and um, uh, the American Christianity, I'll call it American Christianity, uh, because the, these churches, or majority of these churches, allow the culture to influence the church instead of the church influencing the culture. And as a result, it has become an incubator for a lot of heresies that you uh, have been dealing with since the show started, and I've been dealing with it uh, since 1997. Um, you know, a lot of heresies like emergent church, seeker-sensitive movements, Chrislam, liturgical practices, New Age, all of that in these kind of churches. Well, that did not just affect the church. As a result, it has affected some Bible schools, Bible colleges, seminaries, and then affected some mission agencies, and then that has been exported overseas. So when I go overseas, guess what I'm uh, combating and battling? is American Christianity heresies. And I have to demolish that before I even really teach my material. And it's a, it's, mm. it's a spiritual combat when yeah. I'm in those conferences in India or Indonesia or uh, Kenya or Cameroon and other places I've been in. It's a, it's a really uh, uh, it's a difficult thing, but by God's grace, as long as I'm standing on biblical truths uh, they really cannot argue with all of that and they finally when their eyes are open and they realize what they've been doing and accepting from these kind of teaching that's been exported overseas from america um uh, they they just weep and some of them repent mm. and it's it's a blessing to see that praise god for so, the repentance amen so uh, really that passage reminds me of that because these churches, the going again, you know, with the stream, are you know basically point the finger at the biblical churches and biblical pastors and some teachers in America and pointed the finger at them that they are sticking them out there. They are legalists. They are not loving. Uh, they're controversial. They're divisive. So that we've been called all kind of names. I've been called worker of the devil by some of these missionaries and some of these pastors just because. I don't go along with Chrislam movement and other things. Mm, so wow. it's it's really interesting to see that. And but the beautiful thing is that I am at peace with God's message, what He has called me to do. And I'm sure biblical pastors and preachers at peace with that. Yeah, it's hurtful when you are called these kind of names, especially from fellow quote unquote believers or fellow ministers. Uh, but uh, we look beyond the physical and emotional uh, feelings. We look beyond that. Why? Because we are called by God to preach the gospel, preach the word, unadulterated counsel of the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, we're not here to cater to pop psychology, uh, cater to uh, what, what, what the fad is in the 21st century, that we need to go along with that. And unfortunately, many pastors and churches build a whole ministry, a whole church ministry based on what's the next thing, what's the next thing that will bring more members, more money, bigger building, and bigger names. And that's really, it's uh, sad, it's depressing sometimes, uh, but it's uh, corrupting the church, corrupting uh, people in the church, and a lot of people in the church really so ignorant of the scripture that they are really being sent out into the world like sheep among wolves with no protection. This is not just a doctrinal issue. Uh, it's a spiritual—actually, it's both spiritual issue, but it's an issue of salvation, too, because um, there is a parallel we're going to make with the American Church when we come back from our break. Mike Kaiaya prophesied—he was the only one—400 went along 
and told Ahab what he wanted to hear. Micaiah said, no, this is what's going to happen. He was right. Ahab ended up being defeated and died. And we're going to talk about the dynamic in the American church with wanting to hear only the good when we come back. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to David Fiorazzo. We're on with Elijah Abraham, and I'm going to read 2 Timothy 4, starting in verse 3, what we were talking about last segment from the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles 18. There's a parallel here. I think some of you can relate to this. You know people that this might describe. Verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship. Stop right there. Oh, my goodness. This is hard, Elijah, because in America, we don't want to endure hardship. There's no way. But I know there's a lot of pastors that you visit in some of these nations, these persecuted pastors in some nations that uh, there's hostility to- against Christianity. I mean, there is in America, but it's not, it's, you know, they're, they're not, we're not getting our, our families thrown in prison. But would you like to weigh in there on this idea of wanting our ears tickled, wanting just to hear what makes us feel good and not wanting to go through hardship? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that passage because that passage builds up on the previous chapter, uh, chapter 3, uh, where it talks about difficult times will come. Mm. Um, and let me read this. So it's really powerful. It says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. It did not say maybe. It will come. Mm-hmm. Verse 2, for men will be, and he's going to describe our culture today. <laughs> For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient of parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good. This is definitely not a politically correct language. (laughs) Uh, uh, Haters of good. Verse 4, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's a big one holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. For men, for among them are those who enter into the households and captive, uh, weak women weighed down with sin, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. amazing passage Mm -hmm. so the passage you just read he just talking about the entire you know the latter days difficult times will come but what is the atmosphere of that times you're talking about people are selfish arrogant they are not looking for god they are gossips they are they lovers of money uh they put money more uh in a high esteem than really living holy lives unholy uh, definitely gossips. I mean, how many churches broke uh, broke up because of gossip? That uh, you know, the elders did not put gossip uh, into task and uh, calling these people to stop gossiping. So all of that. So as a result of this environment, 
these are difficult times for the church to go through. Well, look at the church status. He said, look, and you, you mentioned it in the passage uh, you know, that you read, and that people going to get to a point because they are in the world. They, they are selfish. They are lovers of money. They're all of that. So they don't want to hear a preacher to tell them from the scripture what they are doing is sinful. So therefore, they start choosing pastors when they call a pastor, choosing pastors just to do topical or ser uh, sermons or sermonettes. And let's focus on uh, spend about an hour and a half and praise and worship and sing Kumbaya kind of thing. And not even hymns. It's all uh, repetitious. Yeah. yeah, repetitious. Look, there are some contemporary songs I love. Yes. But the ones that really draws me nuts that you repeat the same verse over and over and over. It's like, you know what? I got it. Just keep <laughs> go to the next verse. <laughs> and, and you're trying to figure out what it means because it's talking about something, this vague concept that you're right. trying to relate to Scripture. For example, I don't know. I don't want to get off on a tangent here because I want to come back to 2 Timothy 3 and ask you about yes. one of these. It's when someone talks about singing and being in the river or with the river or letting it flow, what are they talking about? Are right. they talking about the Holy Spirit? What flows? The river? Where is it? This river of God. Okay, now I have a little bit of an idea. Maybe they're talking about the river of God. But right. when you're think, thinking about just fun things, let it rain, Lord. Let it rain. Let what rain? Righteousness? Right. Wrath? You know, what, what do you want to reign? Anyway, so there's certain songs that we sing right. in our churches without taking the time to look up at, if they're on PowerPoint, up on the wall or, or on a screen, and saying, "How? where is that idea in the Bible? What are they singing about? It's not a scripture, but usually right. these are under the guise of right. spiritual songs. They're not psalms. They're not hymns. Right. They are maybe spiritual songs, but we've made them so modern and so feel-good about right. us that it, it, it kind of loses its meaning. What are your thoughts on yeah. that before we go back oh, to the... Oh, believe me, I have a <laughs> huge opinion on that. Uh, <laughs> I thought you again, would. Yeah, but again, I look, I, you know, the, the type of songs and so on, okay, that's, uh, for me, I like theology, some biblical doctrine in a song. Uh, that's why I love hymns. Mm -hmm. That's why I love a new contemporary songs, but there are a new hymns being written like in Christ Alone or some other uh, songs like by the Gettys. The Gettys, man, I mean, they're fantastic. Yeah. Uh, all of their songs okay. are so sound biblically, and I have no problem with that. Uh, they are modern, and I have no problem with that. So um, it's when I, when I sing, I wanted to minister, uh, one, to my soul and spirit and lift me up, but also I wanted to convict me, but also I wanted to be Christ-focused, you know, heavenly bound, not, uh, it's a lot of the songs that I, I hear, it's really kind of more or less a lot of earthly bound, and a lot of it is about me. Um, and and it's, look, please don't misunderstand, and I pray that your listeners not going to look at what I'm saying here. I'm uh, stick in the mud and judgmental. Look, I'm from Middle East, and I love good music. Whenever I hear good music, my hips start moving automatically. Love belly dancing. <laughs> so so don't, I don't want people to say, oh, look, he's uh, too boring. No, believe me. Ask my wife. Uh, I, get, I embarrass her everywhere we go because you got to have fun in life. You know, people think that, oh, are you in the ministry? You're always serious. No, if I don't laugh, if I don't make fun of myself, I go crazy. So it, it, it's that's where you know, the worship really needs to be focused on. It's, mm -hmm. it's 
the, the, the presence of the Lord present. Sometimes I go to some churches, uh, I am so ministered to, I'm in awe, I'm in tears because I can sense and feel and uh, I'm in God's presence. I'm right there in the Holy of Holies. But I go to some churches, it's like, uh, it's just dry, it's half dead, if not dead already. And it's just, uh, and then I struggle, spiritually I struggle. It's like, Lord, uh, I don't want to preach. This is dead church. But I have to rely on you. Help me. And the more, once I get behind the pulpit and I start preaching from the word, not from me, from the word, I don't bring anything to the table. And I'm totally drained and dependent on the Lord. And I'm telling you, people are starved, even these churches. Hmm. People are starved for God's word. And I've, I've seen people in that dead church, and I experienced that in Oklahoma City and other places, in that dead church, people... All of a sudden, I was stunned by they clapped, they said hallelujah, and saw, saw people get saved, people in tears. And afterwards, they said, we don't get this. We don't hear this. And that's so sad. Yeah. People are desperate, yes. desperate to hear from God Amen. instead of this fluff and nonsense that is being sold to the American churches. Now, here's the thing. What you said about chapter four um it's conditioning the people being conditioned by now they are not looking heavenly or heaven bound they are not looking into eschatology and prophecy and the end time and what is going to be in the end time because a majority of churches or as let's say majority of pastors don't talk about book of revelation don't talk about eschatology don't talk about prophecy. They don't even hold conferences to educate and equip their people. Hmm. Uh, and the reason they don't do it, because the pastors are ignorant of it. They've never been taught in Bible schools and seminaries. When I went to seminary, there was really not a whole lot of emphasis on that. I was not taught in, in this in seminary about eschatology and end times and prophecies. I had to I learned that afterwards. And because I realized without having that mindset, without having the, the heavenly mindset and eschatology and what's going to happen in the end times, because the scripture tells me when you are there in that kind of mindset, it will help you in the present day today how to live holy life, how to be um, zealous for the gospel how to be a great evangelist to share the gospel with people. That's why evangelism, it's, uh, it's really a dread for a typical American Christian because they think, oh, I don't want to offend somebody. Oh, this is a, a message that uh, it's kind of uh, divisive or whatever it is. It's so cool. I don't want to be rejected. So it's all about I, I, I. Mm -hmm. But the problem is if they have heavily mind mindset, they know where they headed. They know what Book of Revelation talks about, about the tribulation, what's going to be for the unbelievers, that if they make it there. And they know the end for an unbeliever, which is literal eternal hell. Believe me, the attitude will change about sharing the gospel mm -hmm. because then there is a sense of urgency. They're going to see the lost people that are human beings created in God's image and likeness that God loves. And he wants the believers to tell them about his love. So that will change. And also will hold these people accountable 
because how they treat one another within the church, how they love one another, how they uh, not be gossips and not to be divisive and all of that, they're going to live holy lives. But because they are not in that mindset and they're not looking into eschatological and, uh, uh, you know, prophetic uh, scripture that it has not been fulfilled, that it's coming, uh, they don't see that they are living in the last days. Uh, of course, they're going to, there is no difference between their lifestyle and the secular world. Mm-hmm. Um, I compare that kind of mindset with the persecuted pastors and persecuted church oh. that I, I teach. Yeah. Uh, their, their need and their challenge is so different, total opposite from what American, quote-unquote, Christians or Christianity uh, members worry about. Um, and their mindset uh, is just really to survive a, a day to go by without harassment from their neighbor, <laughs> without being called names, mm-hmm. without uh, having rocks being thrown at them or being spit upon while they're trying to go to school. Mm. Uh, and the children I'm talking about, yeah. or the pastor on his way to church not being attacked, or arrive to the church and see a policeman and a Hindu guru say, this, this building now, it's a Hindu temple, and you have no business being in here. Wow. Or the, the building is being burned. And you know what? As a result of all of that, they keep saying, we belong to the Lord. He's our Father. Whatever comes, it is His will to be done in our lives. We just pray that God give us boldness and joy in the midst of this. And when they tell me this, they are in tears. Because from a human perspective and emotions, it's hurtful. It's a heartache. It is suffering. But in the midst of suffering, they are rejoicing. It's such a different contrast, a huge contrast between that mindset and this mindset. And they, are, they have the mindset that they might kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. They know that if they kill us, we're going to see Jesus. If not, we're going to continue telling people about Jesus. I had that quote given to me by Iraqi pastors from Baghdad and from Basra, southern Iraq, when we had a conference in northern Iraq back uh, nine years ago in 2010. Um, it, it just blows my mind and wow. put me to shame about every time I come back from trips like this. Uh, I'm depressed for a few days mm. because I realize w- what I'm coming back to. But I praise God. Look, I'm again, I praise God for these churches in America who are faithful, who are true, uh, sticking to the word, who are not being uh, swayed by the pressure of fellow quote unquote pastors or other denominations or whatever to get on board like these 400 prophets. These guys, I praise God for them. I'm encouraged by them. And I always encourage them to stay true. Don't worry about being called names because, hey, join the club. We are all in the same boat. So that's really what, what needs to happen because when people in America see uh, true believers, even in the midst of persecution, have a joy, that's attractive. They will come to you. They will say, wait a minute. I know you've been harassed. I know you've been going difficult time, but you're always joyful, always have a smile. Why? What's your secret? Well, what are they asking? Do you go back to First Peter chapter 3, verse 15? Who is he writing First Peter? To persecute a church, being thrown to the lions, being burned, being crucified, being starved. Mm. And he said, in the middle of all of that, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Meaning, live Christ like before men. Okay? Always, not sometimes, always being ready to make a defense. That's apologia, de- defense. Apologetics. Amen. I'm not defend. I'm not apologizing. I'm defend. <laughs> Always been ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you 
to give an account for the hope that is within you. The question is, why would they ask you to give an account for the hope that is within you unless they've been watching you because you made Christ as Lord in your life and you are living Christ like before man. And but do it in gentleness and reverence in that passage. Now, 1 Peter 3.15 is not a request. He's not begging us. It's a command from the Lord for every born-again believer to defend the faith, to do apologetics. Now, you show me any typical church if apologetics is part of their main ministry to equip their congregation how to defend their faith. You ask a typical church member, churchgoer, um, are you a Christian? Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Why? Why are you a Christian? They'll tell you how they became Christians, but many of them don't know how to articulate why they believe what they believe mm -hmm. and if they are equipped to defend what they believe. So it's, it's been, uh, it's really, we have to look at things in life here on, on, in America from a different perspective. You need to understand something about America. America, for the last 200 years, we got a break from human history because human history being nothing but bloody, mm, nothing yes. but being evil and anti-righteousness. Sooner or later, this will go away. Just watch what's going on in, in Washington. Do you mm -hmm. really think this is by accident? So sooner or later, our freedoms will go away. Sooner or later, the Constitution will assimilate to globalism. Uh, right now, yeah, it's a fight. But uh, the Constitution of the United States is the last uh, fight that the globalists uh, are fighting. But sooner or later, it will, America will assimilate whether we not like it or not. You might say, well, that's not, uh, not American. Uh, believe me, if you've heard me talk about I'm, uh, I fight for American freedoms, I fight for my religious liberty and freedom of speech. But I'm also looking at Amer America from a biblical point of view and a eschatological mm -hmm. point of view because in the end times, every nation will submit to one world government, one world currency, one world religion. And those who do not submit will be persecuted, will be killed, will be harassed, and that's the true church. Yes, we've got so, to take a break, Elijah. We, I'm glad you brought up 200 years ago because I was going to share a quote from the early 1800s when we come back. Also, we're going to back tackle a few things in Second Timothy. Your, your guest, our guest today, Elijah Abraham on Stand Up For The Truth. When we come back, more on this important topic. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to David Fiorazzo. An article from a couple years ago, actually from last year, I happened to bring up uh, as far as uh, this topic is concerned, um, the challenge we have with staying passionate for the things of God, as Romans 12 says, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It's called An Open Letter to Pastors and Christians, Stand or Fall by Shane Eidelman. And he quotes Alexis de Tocqueville from the early 1800s. And then he makes a point or two, and I, I would love to continue this conversation about what we are missing, in a way, in America. We're with Elijah Abraham, and Alexis de Tocqueville said, It was not until I went to the churches of America—now, he was from France—and I heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness, did I understand the secret of her success. America is great because America is good, and if America ceases to be good— America will cease to be great, end quote. Over the last few decades, um, we've seen the destruction of the institution of marriage between one man and one woman. We've seen the removal of God's word in several areas, the blatant murder of millions of babies in the abortion movement and what, what that Holocaust is turning out to be. This is an indictment against America, and the pulpit is partially responsible, and our silence speaks 
volumes. Now, he also said the pulpit regulates the spiritual condition of God's people, which then affects the nation, a lukewarm, sex-saturated culture and maybe church simply reflects the lack of conviction in the pulpit as well as in the pew. So he, his point, no longer are we, are the pulpits aflame with righteousness, and we need men filled with the Spirit of God. And Elijah, as you were saying, 2 Timothy 4, uh, Paul says, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. And 2 Timothy 3 says they have denied its power, the power of the gospel. The, the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, but men are preaching uh, topical sermons and, and things that are just on the surface, just trying to make people feel good. They're not really preaching the power of God to convict, to change lives, to bring men to repentance. What are your thoughts on these ideas? Oh, I totally agree with you. Um, and by from the from the pulpit, people ask me, um, "Do you believe that we're beyond revival? Is America not cannot experience revival like we did before?" I said, "No, nothing impossible to the Lord and the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, God is waiting uh, really e- earnestly and e- eagerly to have people repent so He could work in their lives." But you need to understand something about revival. And every revival, historically, there is always biblical, fiery preaching of the Word of God. When the Word of God being preached accurately, the Holy Spirit will convict, will bring revival into uh, the church and into our nation. But when you have pastors refuse uh, to preach the Word of God, and entertain the, uh, just basically the entertainers or motivational speakers or psychology uh, gurus uh, with these little sermonettes and motivational uh, sermons uh, that is only like 10, 15 minutes. Um, uh, that's, the, the Holy Spirit is really is not going to honor that because the Word of God is not being preached. So definitely there will be no revival. People will still not be repentant. Um, George Bond Institute, I, I forgot about five, 10 years ago or so, his um, statistics are about 48 to 52 percent of evangelical church membership are not regenerate. Wow. And they are members. Wow. So that's high. Mm-hmm. Uh, our youth back in 2004, his statistics from George Bond Institute also said our youth that grew up in our churches, 76 to 82 percent, by the time they get to college, leave the church. How in the world did this happen with these high statistics? Well, because the Word of God is not being taught and preached with fire, like this uh, quote from the 1700s. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but when essentially you've heard me preach and teach and so forth, uh, you know, I'm passionate. I'm from, you know, I got that Arabic blood in me. And I, I, I believe in the Word of God. It is authoritative. And when I preach it, I'm not saying I'm the only one because I sat under incredible preachers here in America that mm-hmm. God bless them. Uh, they are faithful. And when the Word of God preached passionately and with conviction from the preacher, uh, God will work. God will move. People will get saved. People will repent. Um, but if the preacher preaches and it's really uh, it's like stoic and boring and it, that tells me a lot about the preacher. It seems like he's just doing it as academically and trying to present a presentation. He is not living it. He's not convicted by it. 
And most likely he does not even believe it. He's just doing it as a job. Hmm. Uh, being a pastor is not a job. It's a calling. Oh, and boy, if you are yeah. not called, get out of the ministry because hmm. you are messing with God's sheep. And he is jealous. So he's here to protect. You remember what he uh, challenged Peter? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Feed. What are you going to feed them? Feed the word, basically. And a lot of pastors not doing it. I think of men like Charles Spurgeon, John Knox, George Whitfield, John Wesley, Dwight L. Moody, Jonathan Edwards, Jonathan Amy, Edwards, Amy yeah. Carmichael, Billy Sunday, and the list goes on and on and on. Could you, we only have a few minutes left, Elijah, but could you differentiate between preaching and teaching? Because can you, can you do both? in a presentation or a sermon, or are these kind of separate roles? Well, if, if you have a teacher, a teacher really not, might not be gifted as a preacher. Oh, a, good point. A, a, it, could be, it could be an incredible teacher, dissect the word in mm -hmm. a class setting or uh, a group setting or something like that, or Wednesday night or something like that. Mm -hmm. He's an incredible Bible teacher. But you put him behind the pulpit, he'll bomb. That's <laughs> not his gift. Okay. <laughs> That's I not know his gift. <laughs> yeah, We've seen it. it yeah, that's not his giftedness. <laughs> okay. That's he's not calling. But a preacher, a pastor, a preacher must be a teacher. He has to know the word of God, to dissect the word of God, and preach it and teach it in a preaching sermon um, uh, calling and style. Just like what if you look at uh, you know the day of Pentecost when Peter stood up and preached, he was preaching, but he was teaching from the Old Testament and preaching who about Jesus is in a passionate way, in uh, uh, oracle way. So it's it's a different uh, style, if you want to call that, but you really have to be called to be a preacher. Uh, not everybody be called to be a preacher. A lot of, a lot of good teachers are terrible preachers. Uh, a lot of missionaries, they're horrible preachers. You bring a missionary from overseas and put them behind the pulpit on a Sunday morning to preach, they're terrible. Now, not all of them that way, but most of them are. But the wonderful one-on-one, -on -one, wonderful in-house setting uh, of a house church or something like that, but not in front of an audience. So each person is different and gifted differently. So uh, a preacher must be a preacher teacher. Mm -hmm. A teacher, not necessarily a preacher. Okay. Okay, one more quick question, and I know we're running out of time, but I wanted to ask you, you know, in Second Timothy 4, uh, we are charged to preach the word. It says, do the work of an evangelist. It right. also says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. That's pretty much all the time. Is this right. to the everyday Christian, the layperson, or is this just to leaders in the church, preachers and teachers? No, wait a minute. This is for every believer. Of course, he was talking to Timothy. Just here. want to clarify that, yes. Yeah, but this applies to every believer because the preacher, he, he will preach on Sunday morning, but also he might encounter a few individuals that he will meet during the week. But you got the church members. That's the influence of the church in the community. So that's how if somebody asks them a question, uh, they have to be ready in season, out, out of season to give an account for the hope that is within them. So they need to be sound biblically, theologically. They need to know biblical history. They need to know theology. They need to answer questions. I'll, some of the questions, for example, with Muslims ask me, well, don't tell me about Allah being uh, violent and jihad in your Old Testament. Uh, God of the Old Testament commanded Joshua to kill every man, woman, and child when he went to the land. So what are you talking about? This is massacre. Well, that's a legitimate question. But unless you understand theology and understand biblical history, and to answer that, 
you will fumble and he will win the argument. Right. So it's something that when it talks about to be ready in season, out of season, I believe it applies to every born again believer. Amen. And we would concur. Elijah Abraham, uh, Living Oasis Ministries, uh, we'll be praying for your upcoming trip. Um, any other way that people can be praying for you and uh, how can people get a hold of you if they want? Yeah, uh, our website, livingoasis.org. We always look for prayer warriors. And also we're looking for financial partners. As you know, uh, we're a nonprofit uh, and we live by faith. And this is how God uses fellow believers to help us uh, uh, train and equip uh, churches uh, around the globe. And it's, a, it's been a blessing to partner with fellow believers who believe in what we're doing. Thank you, Elijah. Again, we appreciate your time. God bless you. Have a wonderful trip and a blessed trip ministry-wise next week. Thank you so much. God bless you, and have a blessed Thanksgiving, not just for you and your family, but all your listeners, And because I will not be back until the day before Thanksgiving. So wow. I'll miss talking to you. All right. Well, enjoy your trip, and you have a nice Thanksgiving as well. Elijah Abraham, uh, we will come back, and we've got an exciting uh, lineup of guests next week. We'll tell you about that in a minute. We're getting ready to wrap up today's show. Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. Now, here's David Fiorazzo. Well, I hope you were challenged but also encouraged by uh, what you heard from Elijah Abraham today and how we talked about Second Chronicles 18 and the parallel with today's church wanting to hear what only makes us feel good and better about life and better about ourselves, but also the challenges in Second Timothy we talked about. You know, remember at the end there, Paul said, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I have kept the faith. And what did he gain? The crown of righteousness. And he promised, he said, he will award me on that day and also to all who have loved his appearing. Next week, we've got uh, several guests. Alex Newman, an update on education. We've got Jan Markell joining us from Olive Tree Ministries. We're going to do a local ministry spotlight next week. We've also got Mike Gendron and Tony Garule from Radical Truth. Dr. Andy Woods, Jay Siegert, that's two weeks away. A lot of good guests coming up on Stand for the Truth. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have an awesome weekend. Remember to preach and speak the truth in love. God bless you. Keep speaking about things that matter, friends.